chatting with Sarah Therese about all things motherhood, homemaking, and leaving YouTube to focus on family. All this and more on today's episode of the Classically Abby Podcast. So excited to have you on today. I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> hey, um, me too. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we connected behind the scenes. It's always fun to like meet another YouTuber and another social media content creator. It is cool. It's 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 nice to feel like you're not the only one out there. I feel like so much of the time we follow people and we see people and we're like, oh, this is nice, but we never get to connect on the on a personal level. So the fact that we've been able to do that is great. And then when I look at your content, I view it as like, oh, this is the stuff my friend is putting out versus just like another face on the internet. So it feels, it feels personal. It feels good. I like it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, I get to like this friend of mine's content and I know I'm supporting them and that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I want to have you introduce yourself to my subscribers and tell them a little bit about how you got started on YouTube and then what your message is for your followers. Cause you've kind of had this whole journey, this transition in a lot of different ways. So I think it's fascinating. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's such a journey. I mean, like I started social media before social media was even like a a full on word. Uh, I started over 10 years ago. I was like 16. I was still living at home and uh, I grew up in a homeschool family. So everything that I did, I was always grouped with another sibling or all of them. So if one of us worked at McDonald's, someone else did. If one of us was doing art or dance, someone else was. If someone was skiing, another person was snowboarding beside them. And I just, I had this desire to do something different. I've always been kind of a creative, crafty person as well. So I was like, how can I, how can I do something different, be crafty and just kind of really keep this as my own, something that I can invest myself in. So I started doing YouTube before YouTube was even like a big platform. Like there was other video platforms that were so much bigger than YouTube, but I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is beautiful. And it's something that I started off with a lot of kind of like outward appearance. It was hair, it was beauty. And, and that's, I guess as like a 15, 16 year old, that was really important to me. And then as time went on and I got married and I had kids, it totally flipped to something that was less about what we looked like and and more about the heart and like what we did and sharing my ordinary life. I guess what I really want to put out to my followers is that I'm sharing my ordinary. I'm not doing anything wickedly fancy or doing anything just for the sake of showing it on social media my life is ordinary. And I feel like that's what people enjoy. And that's, that's really what I want to put out to my following is I don't want people to look at me and go, wow, she's glamorous and all this stuff. The message I want to put forward is I have an ordinary life and this is how I find joy in it. And I feel like a lot of people can uh, appreciate that. So this reminds me of a movie that I, I personally really like called About Time. And the ending, he talks about how it's like his ordinary, extraordinary life, just that having an ordinary life. And in the movie, it's not about this, but I think for us, it is, you know, living a, an ordinary life in service of God makes it extraordinary. 
For sure. I mean, it gives value to everything we do. Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's what I, that's what I love is, is, is having just honestly, this normal, ordinary, I do dishes and I take care of kids, but uh, there's value in what I do because it's, it's, yeah, it's for, it's for God's glory. And, and that's why it's beautiful. And that's why I love to do it. It's not just surface level. It's so, so deep. I think that's so important. And I know that so many people need to see that on the internet because we see so many people who are showing off how amazingly fancy their <laughs> lives are or just showing all of the like perfection and this pursuit of perfection that's just not real and seeing people live an ordinary life is really good like it makes you stronger in the way that you approach your life I think mm -hmm. yeah so how did you know that you wanted to be a young mama and that you wanted a big family? Cause that's like a big staple of what you, of what you kind of show is that you're what 20, how old are you now? 27? Ooh, I am 27. I'll be 28 in April. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I was, I got the age right. And you have yeah, five wow. kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like I know. It's, it's wild. It's wild, but I, <laughs> I highly recommend it for young people. So when, <laughs> Uh, when I got married, I was 19 and me and my husband kind of had it made up like, Oh, we'll give ourselves a couple years before having kids. And there was, uh, like older couples around us that were, uh, just married and they decided we're going to travel. We're going to do all this stuff before we have kids. And me and Kieran realized really early on that, uh, we didn't have the means of traveling. We didn't have the time to do it and we didn't have the money to do it. And, um, I, I remember not even wanting to be like all these other people and uh, traveling and doing all this like really beautiful stuff together. I remember not wanting that, but praying and being like, Lord, what do you, what do you want from me? Because I, I need something here and I'm missing something here. So very early on, we realized because we didn't have the means to, <laughs> to travel and do all this fancy stuff, we have the means to be really young parents and be cool young parents. So that was uh, something that was really laid on my heart and then also Kieran's heart as well to be young parents. And the interesting thing about it is I wasn't looking at any of my friends going, Oh, you're a young mom. I want to be a young mom. I was the only married and young mom in my friends group. So there was no sort of, I like the idea of being a young mom because I can be a young mom with my friend. It was really like, when I decided and the Lord laid it on my heart to be a young mom, it was like, Oh no, in so many ways, because I knew I was going to be lonely and I knew it was going to be a hard transition. But I also know, honestly, my entire growing up years, I was the mom. I remember someone telling me that I wasn't the oldest sibling. So I have two older brothers and a younger sister. And for years I thought I was the oldest sibling out of all of them because I naturally <laughs> just had this mothering like nurturing heart and I want to take care of things. And uh, I also want to have control over things. So the idea of being a young mom was like, wow. And, and, uh, but I remember a woman coming up to me at our church and being like, you realize you're not the oldest sibling, like out of your <laughs> siblings. And that never clicked for me. And I was absolutely shocked by that. So the idea of becoming a young mom made sense money wise, time wise, and also just I loved the idea of pouring out my heart to not just children, but my children. This felt uh, important to me. This felt 
uh, like something that would be extremely fulfilling. And it was something that Kieran was really excited about too. So the idea of being a young mom, the more I thought about it, the more the less I had to think about it just because it was so obvious uh, of a decision to make. So we literally we got married. And a year later, I had my daughter Ivy at the age of 20. So amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so funny because I talked to my husband about this, Jacob, and to my mom about it, honestly, <laughs> the idea that I think we live in a culture that encourages people to like do all this fun stuff, fun stuff. I put in quotations as if parenting isn't fun, but like this fun stuff while they're young, like travel the world, spend your money in kind of a <laughs> frivolous way. And my perspective on that has totally shifted as I've realized why don't we encourage people like while they're in their healthy, young, trying to save money years, why don't we encourage them to like be young parents and in, you know, you can pull an all nighter when you're 20 and it doesn't kill you in the same way it does <laughs> when you're 37. Right. So like if you have yeah. a baby at 37, it's a lot harder than when you're 20. Um, and you know, at the, that time you're not thinking about how, you can't spend, you know, a certain amount of money because you need to save for a house, for example. You're doing everything at the time, like at, when you're young. And then by the time you're in your 50s, 60s, your kids are grown, they're in college, they're getting married, they're having children. That's when you can spend your money a little bit more frivolously because you don't have to worry about those costs and you're not stressing about That's those right. costs anymore. That's right. Me and Kieran always say, we're going to be such cool young grandparents. Like, And I think it was my <laughs> sister, Rachel, who recently said, she said, if if your daughter Ivy is anything like you, you'll be a grandma in less than 14 years, in less than 14 years. And that is insane <laughs> to me. But I love the idea of all the kids being out of the house and me and Kieran are still young and we still get to enjoy each other. And then we also get to witness our kids becoming parents and then those kids becoming parents. Right. So I I feel like because we started earlier, we get to live our lives in a very different way than people who started later. And a lot of people will choose to start later. And there's so many people that wish they could have started uh, sooner and they weren't able to. So like there's grace there, but um, I highly recommend if you can get married young and can have kids young, uh, do it. But also be very, very intentional with who you choose to do that with. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great advice. I love that. Yeah. So one of the things I, I got, I got to ask, because I actually, before we, we knew each other, um, a friend of mine and I used to watch your videos and we would talk about you homeschool, you create content, you raise your kiddos, you're yeah. a wonderful wife. Wow. How, how do you manage it all? How do you keep all of the plates in the air as a mom, as a mom of only one little toddler? Not <laughs> I'm, easy. I'm trying to create content. I'm still like, I've never vacuumed. Like I've never washed a dish. I just don't have time <laughs> to do anything. So I'm, I'm always of, wondering uh, how do people like you oh, wait. get it all done? How do I get it all done? It's not, it's not easy. And I think so many people look at my life and they're wanting that easy explanation of like, oh, the X, Y, and Z. And that's, that's not what it is at all. Um, when it comes down to it, scheduling is huge for me. Uh, I have a lot of friends who will 
be like, oh, Sarah, I wish I wish you could just do things last minute. And I just can't like they know if they hey, last minute, you want to go here, want to do this. I absolutely can't because my whole week, maybe my whole month is really rigorously scheduled out. Uh, it's also finding uh, joy and saying no to people for the sake of my own uh, mental health, for the sake of my kids, my husband and, and how our home works. Um, and you know what, there was that time of YouTube where I was thriving and doing great. And then all of a sudden, I felt um, overly busy and preoccupied with it. And in my heart, let me adjust my earpiece. In my heart, I felt um, a pull uh, towards my kids. And I felt kind of embarrassed and ashamed about the amount of time that I was starting to put into YouTube and forgetting about my kids. So I, I had to learn to actually say no to YouTube. So, so many people are like, oh, I can say no to this and that. Um, and those are small things. But for me, I have, I've learned to say no to big things in order to make my life work uh, properly and, and to love on my family properly. But I mean, say no to things. Scheduling is huge. Um, Raising independent children is huge as well. I recently saw uh, a comment on one of my videos talking about like, how do you get your kids to not be on you all the time? And like, mom, hold me, hug me, touch me, be with me. And, uh, and it just comes down to raising independent kids. And uh, I also learned very early on that the more that I reach out to my kids, the less they will rely on themselves to reach out to me. So basically what that is, is if, if you're not reaching out to your kids enough, they're going to be here all the time, all around you, because they're going, I have to rely on my two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old self to get my mom's attention when really what we can be doing for our kids is I'm going to give you the attention that you need and they won't feel like they have that obligation to reach out because you're doing it first. Uh, and that's a huge key to raising independent kids is I'm here for you and I'm going to let you know that first. So you don't have to be around me all the time looking for that type of security and attention. So my and my kids are amazing, but I did I did have to leave YouTube for the sake of them. And then Kieran also had to leave his job and start working at home with us so we could uh, continue this. So our lives are very different. It's not traditional, but we try to honor the Lord through it and also just really love on each other as a family and take care of these kiddos. It's wild. I will tell you my every day is so wild and so busy, uh, but I love it. I really, really love it. And it's changing all the time because I have ages from seven to newborn. So they're all in, in different stages, but yeah, it's, it's crazy, but I love it. <laughs> I love that. No, I mean, I think that it is so important to keep a schedule. And also I, I love exactly what you're saying about, about, reaching out to your kids so they don't have to feel like they have to reach out to you first. I, I, I try with my son to um, kind of build into our day moments where I'm totally focused on him, even at this age where I'm like, let's read yeah. a book. And he's like, does read a book mean I rip the book? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, sure. Do I eat the book? <laughs> does that, whatever, whatever you need for us to feel like we're spending time together. And a lot of the time that just means it's very interesting because you would think it means like really interactive play that that would make him feel like he's getting enough attention from me. But often it's just, I, you know, this is him speaking. I want to play while mommy sits here and just watches. Right. Like I, I, I work, he doesn't want to roll a ball back and forth necessarily. He wants to play while I just am there with him. 
and not on my phone and not doing anything else. And that is such an interesting way to look at things. And I think also I've had to learn that so much of parenting, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves in the modern era to entertain our children as opposed to have them come along with us with what we're doing. So I built him like a little stool to help me at the counter. And instead of saying, okay, you go over there and do something else. And I I know, I know he's a baby, but I still want him to be involved. So I was like, okay, yeah, you're going to play with the pieces while I'm building things. For sure. I know if, if we welcome our kids to do things alongside us, then uh, they'll always feel like they're there and they're always involved. And like, I have random jars of old kidney beans and rice and whatever. And if I am making something and I, maybe I don't want my kids to touch it. I will have my bowl of things that I'm actually doing in the kitchen that will be for dinner or whatever. And uh, I will have my one and a half year old beside me on a stool and she has dried beans and she is mimicking what I'm doing. They just want to be close and they want to be involved and they want to also know that they're welcome to do so. Um, the worst thing I feel like you can do as a parent is go to your room, go to your room and then close the door and they're by themselves. Um, our kids learn and heal and grow when they're right beside us. And if they know they're welcomed right beside us pretty much constantly, they won't feel like they have to be beside us constantly because in the back of their minds, they know, hey, whenever I need to be by mama or papa or even each other as siblings, uh, I have the ability to do so. So yeah, that's, that's how great. I, did. I love it. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about embracing femininity because, you know, you, I would say your fashion and style is a little bit different than like typical femininity, but you are an incredibly feminine person, an incredibly <laughs> feminine woman. So what does femininity look like to you? Yeah, I, I, um, I've had a lot of people be like, well, you don't look very girly to me. And, <laughs> and I think, I think femininity is really, it's a heart thing there. I have a friend and um, she has a full on shaved head. She's like six foot three and she wears, she wears very uh, masculine looking clothes, but she's one of the most feminine people that I know. And that's, that comes really from her heart and how she takes care of her family and on all this stuff. But I mean, femininity to me personally is is a nurturing heart. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about Exodus in a little bit, and I'm excited about that. But I think uh, the the women in the beginning, thinking about uh, the Hebrew midwives and uh, Moses' mother and his uh, his sister Miriam, and even Pharaoh's own daughter, what sets them apart? is their nurturing hearts. Like, honestly, you see that with Miriam taking care of Moses and the mother as well and the Hebrew midwives. And right down to Pharaoh's own daughter, there is something uh, that defines a female in, in, in a very different way than, than male. And it's, it's a nurturing heart. And you see in Exodus that nurturing, loving, mothering heart saves and it is powerful and beautiful and is strong. And too many people look at femininity and see it as being something very weak and therefore they don't wanna be involved and they push themselves away from it. Where for me, I'm like, this is strength and not like girl boss, girl power, woohoo, not like that. But this is an inward beauty that too many people uh, push aside or degrade. So for me, femininity is it's such a hard thing. And, uh, and I know some girls that dress so girly to the nines like crazy. 
but there's not an ounce of femininity in them. You know what I mean? So for me, it's that nurturing, mothering, I want to take care of you and protect you and, and love on you kind of heart beyond just your own kids and your own family. Yeah. <laughs> and you're so feminine. Like I look at you and I'm like your hair, like you're so feminine outwardly, but it's, it's all the more so inwardly that I, that I see it of you and, and the content you create and how you love on your family. And it's beautiful, but it has to be focused inward because outward doesn't matter it's that it's the inward. And I, and I see that in you and I love that. I, uh, I totally agree. And it's something that I, I've had to change and grow over time because initially I was very, I, I, I was like you, you kind of described how your first videos on your channel were much more like outwardly focused and mine were too. And I talked a lot about <laughs> kind of the classic look a lot of the time. And I actually had to make a video just a couple of weeks ago about how classic sort of changes over time and how right. a lot of it becomes a lot more focused on being the kind of person people can depend on and how you can embrace femininity in different ways. Uh, but I do think that it's a hard thing. I totally agree with you. So here's my question. What's your best piece of advice for young women who are dating and how can they embrace their femininity before and that nurturing quality in that stage of life when you're single? I mean, those are two different questions, really. How do like dating advice and then also just how to embrace femininity when you're single and that nurturing nature? Yeah, because it's hard because you, that's why so many girls get a puppy or a cat <laughs> because because that they have that natural inclination of like I'm just gonna take care of you um but I mean embracing femininity when you're single I wouldn't say is uh, uh hard but you have to uh maybe look for it or or build yourself up in it so like before I got married I was already working towards being a good homemaker. And, and that that looks different for everyone. For me, a priority in being a good homemaker was um, organizing and knowing how I would lay things out and cooking and, and also just being, I don't want to say like an appealing person to be around, but someone that, that Kieran would enjoy coming home to. So again, it's working in uh, your heart when it comes to that stuff. But I mean, like, you know what, girl, <laughs> my advice, my advice for for these young ladies going out and dating is stop dating men that you wouldn't be proud to have uh, as your own son. There are so many women out there that are dating absolute scum and <laughs> these horrible guys. And my question is, would you be proud of this man that you're dating if he was your son? And the answer most of the time is no, I wouldn't be proud because he talks like this. He acts like this. This is how he acts around his friends versus his mom and all this stuff. I remember when I first started dating Kieran and I thought I would love to have kids just like you. That was really important to me. Um, dating can also, I know a lot of people look at it as being super casual, but to myself, uh, you're given little pieces of your heart out. So be intentional when it comes to who you're dating. I only ever dated one person and now I'm married to him and have carried five of his children. So, um, so I was very, very, very careful. And, and I'm so thankful that I was, but yeah, when it comes to whoever you're dating, just be thoughtful about it. Is this the kind of person you'd want to raise your daughters? You know, like yeah. think this stuff through because this stuff is important and dating is not the only way that you get to know someone. 
as well. There's other ways you can get to know people without having to break off little pieces of your of your beautiful heart uh, and sacrificing them in in honestly really sad ways. So that's my mom dating advice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And oh, it's, it's a different perspective than I've heard before, because usually you hear don't date some, at least for me, my advice is usually don't date someone that you yeah, wouldn't want to be the father of your children. That's right. That's right. Hi, Elizabeth <laughs> is here. What, your phone, your lip gloss? Oh, your phone. Hey, go see if Papa can find your phone and your lip gloss which is not real lip gloss because I do not let my three-year-old wear lip gloss. Hey, go find your papa. <laughs> oh, and don't go into Calvin's room or Molly's room just because they're napping. Oh, yes. <laughs> Loving parenthood. I love it. My baby is on a walk with his dad so that he can uh, take a nap because he wouldn't go down before this uh for this recording yeah. so you know <laughs> you have to do what you have to do especially when you work from home the amount of uh the amount of prep that just goes into you trying to make content where your kids aren't hanging off the walls is insane so <laughs> are you back hold on let me text oh it's a different one if you have lots of kids <laughs> this will happen here let me text Kieran here come on out come on out and don't hey Calvin and don't go in your room just because Edmund is sleeping Yes, Calvin? Um, what did Ellie say to you? I have no idea because my friend Abby is in my ears. He's like, wow, your friend Abby is in your ears. <laughs> well, I I'm think like, that that's a good place to stop the interview portion and move into the faith section. But uh, oh, let's get into it. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay, so for our faith talk, before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, how do you engage with your faith each and every day? Like what's something you do every day to engage with your faith? Um, it's, you know what I realized is growing up, my faith was make sure you read your Bible in the morning and then it was done. And, mm -hmm. and it was, uh, my faith growing up was a checklist. It was, oh, I did this and, and check it off. And, um, and uh, you know, that is a bad thing. I know some people are like, oh, that's not a bad thing because you're still reading your Bible. I'm like, no, 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 that was a bad thing. So now engaging with my faith every day is that it's not turned off and I don't look at it as, oh, check mark, it's done. It is a constant thing, whether I'm in the word or prayer. Um, I love listening to the Bible. I'm doing a read through the Bible listening thing with my church, which is great. And then also engaging with your faith is, is made easy and quite beautiful when your kids are uh, uh, knowing about the Lord. And then also when your husband loves the Lord as well. And it's like a group family thing and you're just surrounded by it and, and worship music and all that stuff. So engaging with my faith, it's just the idea that I don't want to live with a check mark. It's, it's more of a savings account where I'm just continually pouring myself into it. So um it's, it's as simple as that. And if you're, if you do that, it becomes habit, it becomes normal and, and you can't help but pray or read the word or, or desire it. You could say. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. Mm -hmm. So everyone listen to that, take it into your own lives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, what I wanted to talk about today. So every week we talk about uh, the Torah portion that we're reading 
And this week's Torah portion in Hebrew is called Va'era, which means, and I appeared in English. And this is the second Torah portion in Exodus. So we are getting deep into the redemption from Egypt's story. Uh, God tells Moses that he's going to redeem the children from the children of Israel from Egypt. Moses and Aaron repeatedly come to Pharaoh asking for him to let his asking for him to let the people go. And Pharaoh says no. And to show God's power, Aaron, Aaron turns his staff into a snake. Pharaoh's necromancers replicate the trick, but to their surprise, Aaron's snake eats their snakes. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And Pharaoh remains hard-hearted. Moses and Aaron bring down the plagues upon the Egyptians. Blood, frogs, lice, wild animals, pestilence, boils, and hail. And Pharaoh asks Moses to save the Egyptians and promises to let the Jews go multiple times. But each time the plague stops, Pharaoh hardens his heart and changes his mind. So one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, because this is something I learned about in school, and I don't know if you ever focused on this uh, when you were studying the Old Testament, is the verse, but the Lord strengthened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not hearken to, he- hearken to them as the Lord spoke to Moses. Did you guys ever talk about that? In uh, Oh, no. In- no, not too much. You know what? When um, Whenever we went into Exodus, we were full on deep into just learning about the plagues, and I, mm-hmm. and I... I feel like, oh, I really liked learning about the plagues, but there are certain things, especially when it came to Pharaoh, because what an interesting person uh, that we didn't look uh, deep into. But I think just in that verse in general, it's like you are reminded who is in control. God is in control and he is the one that is controlling Pharaoh here for his glory. Um, But no, we never like if I could have done a character study on anyone in the Bible, uh, it probably would have been Pharaoh or Boaz, because I think those people are just absolutely phenomenal. Yes, Boaz is wonderful. And uh, Pharaoh is is, uh, an, is so interesting. And so I, I always, I wanted to talk about this verse because I think it's fascinating, right? Because this is the only time in this specific Torah portion that it says that God strengthened his heart. Every other verse, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So why would God go out of his way to harden Pharaoh's heart if the whole point of the plagues is for him to try to convince Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go? Like, why would God do that? Oh, that's a good question. Right? (laughs) Can I call a friend? (laughs) (laughs) So I I was trying to think about it and I've thought about, and there's a lot of commentaries that, that kind of think, talk about this idea but I had an idea and I'm not nearly as smart as the commentaries, but I will share what I thought. And then I want to hear maybe what you think about it. Cause I think we can kind of start a discussion about it, which is this Pasuk, this verse immediately follows this verse. And the necromancers could not stand before Moses because of the boils. This is the plague we're on the boils for the boils were upon the necromancers and upon all of Egypt. So throughout the plagues, the necromancers try to replicate the plagues that God rains down on the Egyptians. And if they can, it proves to Pharaoh that God isn't real. He's not powerful. Like, it's not a big deal. Okay, blood's coming out of the Nile. Well, my necromancers can do the same thing, so this must not be that that cool. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time that the necromancers not only can't replicate it, but they can't even appear before Moses because they were so affected by God's so wounded. Right. And this is the first time that Pharaoh is seeing how truly powerful God is. So here's where my idea comes in. What does it mean that God hardened his heart? 
not that God actively hardened Pharaoh's heart, but actually what it could mean is that seeing God's miracle so clearly hardened Pharaoh's heart because he didn't want to acknowledge that there was a God above him. And the clearer it became that God was the one doing the miracles, the more he fought it. For sure. Because, because up to that point, he was anti-God, you know, mm -hmm. he was, he was obsessed with, uh, with uh, the sun God and all that stuff. And each plague is actually attacking another Egyptian God, which I find is so mm -hmm. amazing. But mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, uh, when it really clicks, there is a God, there's that fear in their hearts, because they look back and go, how have I lived my life? And it's intimidating. And also people are intimidated by miracles, because they're things that really can't be explained. Uh, a miracle is unfathomable. It can feel awkward. Obviously, for Pharaoh, he's extremely uncomfortable. So, so that whole idea of him actually seeing there is a God, um, that is terrifying for him. And also, like his necromancers, they are just the craziest people. Because if, <laughs> if I were them, and if I had that kind of power, instead of when they turn the, when God turns the Nile into blood or whatever, the last thing Pharaoh needs here is for more water to be turned into blood. If you are really powerful necromancers, why don't you clean the Nile of all the blood instead of bring forth more blood? Like it's such an interesting <laughs> thing that they do. Um, and they're actually making everything worse <laughs> by, by, by making these plagues all the more so. And, and I honestly think they're attesting more to, to God uh, in, in heaven. But no, what, yeah. a, what an interesting thing to think about that's really really well, I good I just think it's so fascinating the idea that like when sometimes when we are faced with truth it makes us lean harder into the lies that we're used to like it makes us it makes us deny mm -hmm. things more when we're faced with something that disproves everything that we've like held dear and it it just stands out to me as something that we should be aware of like isn't it important for us when we are, when we see things in our everyday lives that are miracles, we're so used to being logical and rational and having to defend all of our things that we believe from those places that we can't comfortably say like, no, that was God. But right. And like the clearer it gets, the more we're like, no, 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 no. Like there's a reason that it turned to blood. The Nile turned to blood. There were probably dead animals in there and that made That's all right. of it polluted. Like, yeah. And sometimes it's important for us to say, no, that was actually just God. Like let's view the, le the world through the lens of God's presence and know that God is there. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's faith. Right. And that's why so many people will deny God because that's too much faith. I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't fathom this. This is too much for me. People are so visual. And even when God will send us something extremely visual, there's still a part of us that goes, no, no, no. And, and a lot of that is, again, we're looking back and going, then that was all a waste. Like we as humans hate the idea of, oh, but that was my God. And now like whatever, the social media was my God, food was my God, my spouse was my God, whatever. And now that I see the actual God, this all feels like a waste. And, um, and that can be hard for us to look back and live with regret. So we will still hold on to those things. And it's, and it's dangerous. And it's so bad. Um, but 
really, if we look back on those things and go, oh man, that was all a waste. Now I'm looking towards God and this is where I want to go. That is true fulfillment and that is true contentment. And uh, th- none of this was a waste because it brought us here. And if we have that outlook on this stuff, if Pharaoh had that outlook on this stuff, think about what, a, what would have happened to uh, um, flipping that around. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, uh, for that conversation. And uh, the last part of the podcast is our subscriber questions. So quick plug, but if you aren't already subscribed to my uh, Substack, you will get access to a ton of exclusive content, including my book club, my weekly articles, as well as being able to submit questions for podcasts just like this. And it's really cool because you're getting to submit them to some of my guests. So Sarah's gonna get it, gonna get to answer some of the questions today, yeah, uh, which is really fun. <laughs> So head over to classicallyabby.substack.com to become a premium subscriber. But let's start with these questions. We got some really good ones this week. So what do you wear to work out an activewear? And this is going to be different for the two of us because you and I, I think, Ooh. feel a little differently about kind of maybe where modesty sits and also what is appropriate for activewear. So many activewear outfits these days are like a sports bra or leggings and I'm wanting to find what's functional for working out and providing coverage, but also not frumpy. So oh. why don't you share your <laughs> thoughts first? I'd love to hear. <laughs> you know what? Here. I love, I love leggings, but I don't like when everything is exposed. So anything <laughs> longer that covers my butt, I really enjoy. Um, and I find, honestly, any sort of a workout legging. I really like girlfriend because they are not see-through. I do not want to wear see-through clothing. Um, they make really beautiful leggings, any supportive uh, sports bra with padding. I really, really enjoy because, uh, and especially something higher up with breastfeeding. Oh my goodness. Like the more coverage we can get the better because this is an absolute <laughs> joke at this point. And muscle, <laughs> muscle tanks are so great. I think a muscle tank hits you up high. It covers my butt and it just looks nice. And it's not frumpy, frumpy, like a big oversized t-shirt. Layering is great. I, I love layering. What do you wear when you work out then? What's your (laughs) go-to? So, so here's what I'll say at this point, I work out from home. So half the time it's like the pajamas that I wear when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, if I if I want to like put on real exercise gear, I totally agree. I will wear um, leggings and a oversized t-shirt or something cute over the top that covers my bottom. I also think a good trick if you are like looking to look cute, you can tie a shirt around your waist and then it'll cover your bottom. So you can like wear a cute top that isn't long enough. But then if you wear like a little jacket or a little shirt tied around your waist, then it covers what you want covered and you can still wear leggings. I also like while back, I would wear leggings with shorts over the top and then a more fitted yes. shirt. It's always a, a balancing volume and proportions thing I find is like, if you are wearing um, leggings and shorts, you can't really wear like a big baggy shirt on top because you'll look frumpy. But if you wear a more fitted shirt on top, then you'll look cute. Would you agree with that? I agree. I totally agree. And I also it's, it's where you're going. If I'm in the gym, I'm honestly I'm very covered up. If I'm at home, I'm pretty lax. And if I film like a workout on Instagram, I make sure that I'm not showing certain things or standing in a certain way. If I'm showing my workout at home, that is 
uh, awkward or revealing because I just I just don't need any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, agreed. But most of the time, I'll say I'm usually in whatever I slept in, plus a sports bra. And yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's awesome. So the next question, and this is broad, is what advice would you have for a 12 year old girl? Oh, man, I was 12, 15 years ago. (laughs) I was 12 longer than that ago. (laughs) Really? Are you older than me? I am. I'm 29. (gasps) Oh, you're just a little bit older than me. Just a little (laughs) bit. Yeah, not so much older. Just a little bit. bit. You know what? What was great about being 12 when I was 12 was that because there was no social media, I did everything that I did because I liked it. I didn't do anything because I saw other people doing it or... Um, other people are influencing me. So I think as a 12 year old girl in this day and age, remember what you like and do it. Uh, focus on what brings you joy and and uh, continue that. I loved crafting. I was that craft nerd. And uh, I think if I lived in today's day and age as a 12 year old, I probably would feel influenced to get out of that because what 12 year old plays with sock dolls or makes clothes for her Barbie? What 12 year old plays with Barbies, you know? Um, So I think uh, if you're 12, don't be on social media, like just straight up, like you don't need an Instagram. You don't need a phone. You don't need this stuff. Uh, Focus in on and, and honestly put your heart towards what you really enjoy and focus on yourself. And I don't mean that in a vain way, but I mean, in a way that, uh, is authentic and and you're giving yourself good attention and not being sucked in by what all these other crazy 12 year old girls are doing. Cause there are some wild 12 year old girls out there that have really lost themselves. And I think a lot of that is attested towards uh, social media and, and maybe bad influence through there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, you're making me think that the advice I would give is spend time with your mom. Like, this is the time to spend time with your mom. Enjoy your mom's company. Learn how to cook. Learn how to, like, follow her around. See what she does on an everyday. Go shopping with her. Like, figure out, Mm -hmm. go grocery shopping with her. Figure out womanhood through the best example, which not for everyone, but for many women is their mother. So, like, this is the time of your life where you have time to spend with your mom. Cause as you get older, you're going to be in school or you're going to be moving away or you're going to get married and you're not going to have this time okay. to like learn from this woman who has raised you and loves you and wants the best for you. So spend time with your mom. Like this is the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I wish I, I mean, I spend a lot of time with my mom. I still wish I spent more time with my mom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, me too. Oh, me too. And honestly, if you don't have a mom, find a mom figure. And that can yes. be that can be an aunt, a grandma, that can be someone not even related to you by blood. But there is someone out there uh, that can be a mom figure to you. And they would love to invest their time in you. Because we're, we're moms or we're women or we just want to nurture and help, help uh, other women. That's just so natural for us. Yes, totally. So... Here's a question that is entirely relevant, I think, to your life. What are your thoughts on getting married straight out of high school? Because <laughs> I did. Cause well, did. I because gra- <laughs> I did. I graduated high school when I was, yeah, I was 17. And then I graduated uh, college, I guess I was 18. Um, 
I think honestly, money is very important. And, and I don't want to say that in a way that's, uh, uh, you need to have lots of money and everything, but money is important and be thoughtful towards what you're spending your money on. Uh, I, I remember listening to this one guy and he was a huge advocate and people getting married young. And all these young people are saying, oh, I can't get married young. Uh, I can't afford it. And he's talking to these people who are wearing Gucci, holding a Starbucks and has the latest iPhone. And he said, I lived on Folgers Coffee and we had a mattress passed down to us from our grandparents like to sleep on. Like he was like, if you're going to live high and mighty, rich and famous, of course, none of this is going to work. So you have to cut corners and stuff. But honestly, really think about uh, think about money, think about income, think about putting things aside and savings. Um, That was huge for us. That was how we bought our first home which was a modular. We didn't live in a fancy schmancy home. Uh, We never have had new vehicles. Uh, Everything that we did as a young dating couple to being engaged to being married was, it was slim. We live slim, we live modest. And in a lot of ways, we really still uh, do, but don't have shame in working a lot, putting money aside and preparing for the future because that's going to keep you. And that's also going to really protect uh, your relationships and, and even your marriage. If, if money is there, it's a security. And I think uh, too many people spend frivolously because of social media uh, when really let's, let's be thoughtful with our coin because it is important. And the Bible talks about that. And, and money is a huge topic in the Bible. And people that live simply and humbly uh, reap many, many great blessings that are far better than uh, new vehicles and and fancy houses and such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I I really like that advice because it's practical. It's not just like, oh, it's great. It's like, here's how you can do it and do it practically and and successfully. Please God, like with God's help. Mm -hmm. So last question, I'm not, I'm not going to, to, I don't want to contribute to that because I thought that was such a good answer. So the last question we're going to do <laughs> is an interesting one. What can wives do if their husbands don't seem to want to take the lead in family life? For example, he doesn't seem to have a vision for long-term goals and is content with not being more than enough. He wrote, she wrote with not being good enough. I don't know what that means, but with not being good enough. Hmm. Oh, well, you know what, I can't. And I and I don't mind saying this. I don't, I don't really know. And the reason why is because I've never been in that kind of position. Um, mm-hmm. When I married Kieran, um, I, I saw so much in him that I was like, he's going to lead me, he's going to take care of me, he's going to do this stuff for me. That was a huge check mark for me when it came to our dating relationship so it was before I even got married I was already looking at Kieran really going is this gonna work because of x y and z in his his character and uh and personality so I almost feel like I can't say too much to that um Mm -hmm. a lot of it honestly a lot of it is prayer I think Mm -hmm. so much of the time we want to take action And I think that's beautiful. And especially as women, we can't just sit around waiting. We want to take action. But there's points where the Lord uh, is like, hey, I just want you to sit 
or I just want you to get on your knees and just pray to me. Uh, if this is something that's really bothering you and something really on your heart, prayer is powerful. And what's even more powerful is a woman that realizes she can't do everything and she gives it to God. So mm-hmm. that's, I know that's so lame. And that's the last thing so many people want to hear. Um, but take action where you can. It can be hard, but see what you can do. But really, are you praying about it? And are you bringing this to the Lord? Because if you do that, he will give you opportunities. If you ask something of the Lord, he will give you the opportunity to uh, to act on it or to carry something out. Or uh, it may not be through you that the Lord works his plan out, but someone else completely different and you never saw it coming. So that's my advice. I know that's so bad and you probably have better no. advice than I do, oh but... <laughs> Well, I have I have different advice, but I think that's great advice. My my advice is interesting. And actually, it goes along with what you're saying is I think we have an impulse when somebody's not doing something that maybe we know they should to jump in and and take control or, or boss them around or something to that effect. And in this specific situation, particularly, I think it is necessary to to take a step back and be like no you need to fill this role because i'm not going to like i i'm the wife i am not meant to be in the position that you may be asking me to be in so i am going to show you where my where my role lies so that you don't feel like you can rest on your laurels he might need to feel pressure to take that take that role over and not in the way where you are pressuring him, not in the way where you're like, this is your job, do it. It's more like, I'm just going to be here, here to support you. And I'm going to take this back seat because I know that this is not the position in this family that I want to be in. And right. often for men, when they realize that they're, that they need that, they need to take over the role of leader of the family, head of the household kind of thing. They need to feel that pressure from you by being like, you know what, that that is your role. And it's not something I'm going to step in and take from you. That's what I would. Right. That's what I would guess is like a, a good way to approach it. That's right. And and you know what? What you say is so true. Husbands want to feel needed. As soon mm-hmm. as a husband doesn't feel needed, he's bitter. He's upset. Um, give your husband um uh, I don't want to say I'm thinking the word project because Kieran all this is weird because Kieran's starting a project on the back <laughs> wall so I'm thinking project but um, give them come on Abby help me out it's not project give them I can't a... think of it give them a no I can't think of it but what yeah <laughs> uh, a man who is not busy is he's not happy they really do want something to do and they want to add to the family um so if you show need in an area lord willing they're going to pick that up and run with it and i think it's also on us as wives to show i can't do this but honey i know you can and i'm relying on you to do that um and and that makes a man feel powerful and strong because men love that the last thing I want is someone to come to me and go, I really need this because I'm going, I don't have time. But if we bring <laughs> that to our husbands, they go, okay, I'll do it. You may have to mm-hmm. talk them up and encourage them, but I think that's, that's a good thing for a wife to do. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. So mm-hmm. 
that's where we're going to stop, but I'm so glad you came on. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you? Um, yeah, if you want, come to my house. I'm on the West coast of Canada. <laughs> you can find me here. Um, I, uh, local coffee shops. No, I am. I'm on Instagram at Sarah Therese co. And from my Instagram, you'll be able to find my website and such, but always hanging out on there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can always see her on stories. She's always super active on stories. She has the best stories, honestly. Like I, I tune into your stories every day because they're so aesthetic. Really? You're always doing great things over there. I'm like, oh, what's she up to? I knew you were doing this project on your back wall before we even spoke today because I was watching your stories. So. Aww, amazing. <laughs> hey, thank you. So- yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. We'll have to have we'll have to have you come on again. Like we'll have to do this again. Yeah, I was gonna say we might need like a four part series yeah, of us talking because I feel like we could talk for a really long time. Yes, same here, same <laughs> here. So that is it for today's episode of the Classically Abby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. If you'd like to become a premium subscriber, make sure to head over to classicallyabby.substack.com and I'll see you guys in my next episode. Bye.